Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. listening to the fourth installment of Behind the Investigation, with me, your host, Anna Codrerado. The Investigation is a daring crime drama streaming on HBO Max that tells the previously untold story of the extraordinary work that went into solving the 2017 murder of journalist Kim Val. I'm joined again by Jens Muller, the real-life lead investigator on the Kim Val case, as well as the series writer and director Tobias Lindholm. Before we hear from them, just a quick warning that this podcast does talk about a violent crime, which some listeners may find distressing. And I did want to just say that while the investigation is based on real-life events, there are some spoilers for the TV show in this episode. Jens and Tobias, it is a pleasure to have you back in the studio with us. Thank you so much, Anna, and thank you for having us. Bringing Kim's case to justice involved the Danish and Swedish authorities working together. A key point in the investigation, which is depicted in the fourth episode of the show, is an extraordinary breakthrough that came from enlisting the help of the Swedish sniffer dogs, which helped the team of divers in the overwhelming task of finding all of Kim's remains. Jens, would you be able to start off by telling us about the outstanding role that the divers and the police sniffer dogs played in solving this case? There are two reasons why we, right from the beginning, were very committed to find all of the remains of Kimbal. When we, after the submarine had been missing for 10 days, found the torso, we realized that Kimbal had been dismembered and that we were now faced with the challenge of having to find the rest of her final remains. And this was an incredibly hard job as we were out on the open sea. And I had no one within the police force that could help me achieve this. So um, I contacted those specific divers that had been trained together with the police and they faced a big challenge here. They're used to dive and search within very small areas. 
However, in this instance, they had to dive in the big wide open sea, and in the beginning, they didn't know where they would be diving. So in the beginning of our search, the first dives were based mainly on instinct around some known formations, holes that existed within the seabed, and some other known factors. And it wasn't until later on, when we finally got the track, that they could start diving with precision. At this point, we realized that if we were going to dive the entire track in what they called STA, within relatively small goals of 20 meters times 200 meters, then diving this track would simply take years. So our only option was to develop a new method. Thankfully, we also had help from another source. We got help from these incredible Swedish dogs that were brought over to Denmark. To begin with, there were only three dogs which stayed on for a week. That gave us some marks. However, the divers and the dogs didn't work alongside one another. The dogs peacefully performed the work out there on the boat. And once they had found some markings, they were then recorded using electronic devices such as GPS. Once this was done, the divers would head out the following day, guided by the markings that the dog handlers told them. And the divers then searched for several days without finding anything. I frequently quote what Tobias mentions here, that the Swedish dog handlers just could not understand why the Danish divers couldn't find anything. And they were actually doubting if they were professionally adequate for the job. And the Danish divers couldn't understand why they didn't find anything. And they too were doubting the abilities of the dogs. For example, if they really were picking up a scent, they had doubts if they were actually able to smell anything so far out at sea. And unfortunately, this frustration really started to spread amongst the entire investigation team. It even got to the point where only two people still trusted that we were actually going to find anything at all. One of these was police officer Christian Skov, who thankfully was out with the divers and the dog handlers. He had worked as a dog handler for the Danish police in the past, so he knew firsthand what dogs are capable of. So when Christian told me how the Swedish dogs were reacting and showed me video clips of them marking, I never doubted that he was right and that, of course, something of interest had to be down there. And that's really what kept us going. We just needed to find the missing link. As in the key to why, we hadn't been able to find anything in the areas of the dog markings up until now. So, I insisted that we make a trial dive, which I had already mentioned before. But the Swedish dog handlers thought that was a bad idea, because whenever they had trained their dogs this way before in the past, using a substance that imitates the smell of a corpse, they couldn't use that lake for a year. But, after a while of still not getting any results, I insisted we do a trial dive. And in the end, we did one about six to seven kilometers from the actual place where we were searching, about six meters below the surface of the water, which, by the way, was only half of the actual depth of where we were searching, which was around 10 to 12 meters. And on the day of the trial dive, we placed the corpse imitation substance all the way down onto the seabed, while the Swedish dog handler and Christian sailed back to land and went for lunch, and then returned after a few hours to search. The dog handler explained to Christian where he should try and search. But after a couple of hours of no luck using the radius that the dog handler had advised, Christian then insisted that they make the search area much bigger and try an entirely different approach. And this is where we finally had the big breakthrough. By sailing much further away from the original markings, the dogs started to sense something. And this is when we realized we needed to start approaching this case from a different angle. 
It was then we realized that we wouldn't be able to solve this by ourselves, so one of the diving instructors told us that, due to his work as a diving coach for the military, he knew a man who was a captain of a research ship that belonged to the University of Aarhus. Christian Skov gave him all the exact markings discovered by the dogs. He then went off for about 24 hours to do some incredible, complicated calculations, which I saw myself, these huge formulas written on a wall, after which he returned to us with a very clear idea of a specific place of where it would make sense to search, and it wasn't just one to two hundred meters away from the dog's markings. It was up to two kilometers away that he strongly suggested we look. And in the end, this turned out to be the key to our success. This was our missing link. That tension between the Danish divers and the Swedish dog handlers, it really comes across in episode four. And you feel yourself as a viewer, or at least I did as someone who is a dog lover and dog owner myself, really rooting for these dogs and really hoping that this proves to be the case that they do know how to find the remains. To what extent, Jens, we know that from the series that you yourself own dogs. And of course, we also know that Joachim has a dog and took a really great interest in the work of these Swedish police dogs. To what extent did that help you stay committed to making sure these dogs could do their work and backing the dogs and knowing that they could do this? I was sure of the dog's abilities and I was sure that when they pounded out where to mark, they were truly marking because those videos that Christian showed clearly showed all these dogs lying down, sleeping for hours on end. They obviously were not sleeping, they were relaxing there on the boat. The point is, they would be resting and then, out of the blue, they would suddenly stand up all alert. I know from my own experience with dogs that they are busy doing the job that they have been asked to do, finding the smell that they have been specifically trained to find, so I never doubted that the dog's markings were true. And it really was a huge help that we got those dogs. Even though this was all new for both the dogs and their handlers, because they weren't used to searching out in the open sea, having to deal with the ever-changing currents and winds, they were used to searching in quiet lakes that didn't have quite as many factors that they needed to consider and adapt to, especially the currents. But getting those dogs still played a major part in helping us solve the case, and it was because of them that we were also able to narrow down some of the search areas. And it was due to the dogs, along with the calculations by the experts from the University of Aarhus, and along with the divers, that tirelessly continued to power on diving day after day, with the working conditions diminishing day by day as it became autumn and we had more and more stormy weather. At best, they were able to see about 10 meters ahead, but on some of the worst days, this was down to only one and a half meters either side. And they experienced lots of days where the visibility in the water was literally only between three to four meters. And that's not great conditions when searching an area so extremely large. It was truly all about a coming together, and each had to play their part extremely well in order for this to succeed. This included the dogs and the incredible work they did for us all. We really get a sense of how vast the search area at sea was in the show. Um, LM, the head of the diving operation, makes sure to keep reminding us of that fact as he's always pushing Jens to find more accurate data about where his team should be looking. Jens, can you tell us how the conditions at sea impacted the investigation and whether they hindered progress in any way? I had some really great meetings with LM. 
It's obviously easy for me as a non-sailor to kindly ask others to go out and search the entire sea. However, the role of LM was to explain in depth to the team how certain weather conditions, as changes in daylight and underwater visibility and currents, impact everything. At the same time, LM also had to keep his own crew going, motivating them and cheering them on every day because, as I said, for the person on shore it's easy enough to tell the people at sea just to keep going when it's getting tougher and tougher. However, what happened was, every time we got a new marking from the docks, the divers would be at it non-stop. But after two to three days without finding anything, they naturally started to doubt and lose faith that they would never find anything. They had already been through this process before, diving around a new mark that they had been given. So what proof did they have that it would be any different this time round? Especially as it started to get colder, and it became increasingly harder for them to work. When the visibility decreased, of course, all these young divers started to really doubt the entire process after searching for two, three, four days in those terrible conditions. Tobias, one of my favorite details about the show is that you actually used the real team of divers and dogs in the series itself. And even Iso, the Val's family dog, is played in the show by the real life Iso. Can you tell us what it was like working with the divers and the dogs? When I set out to portray something very specific, in this case, the world and the work of the divers and the Swedish police dogs, um, I can either believe so much in myself that I can get access to do everything naturally, or I have to give in and just ask the real guys to do their job in front of me and allow me to film it at the same time. And it wouldn't be possible for me to teach actors how to to behave like divers who have done this thousands of times. It just wouldn't be possible. So by asking them and getting them to, to go out there and recreate those situations for me, I would let in so much reality that everything else in the TV show seems real. So even when Søren Melling is playing Jens Müller, it seems real because the divers and the dogs and everybody else is moving totally naturalistic around him. Um, and then um, from a more management point of view, the excitement of the film crew of actually filming the real divers and the respect that we suddenly felt on set because the real guys were there, the real dogs were there. Uh, it, it It's the most quiet and joyful shootings I've ever been part of because there was a common idea of something important and respectful that we were doing. The divers, the dogs, and especially Isoval is a big, big part of that. Um, so it became important. I didn't aim for that from the beginning. I just wanted them to, you know, I just wanted to portray their, their work, their profession. But the fact that their presence would would give us uh, something extra uh, was, was a very extraordinary uh, experience to me. And I've done it before. I've... I've done a, a, you know, I made a war film with real soldiers from Danish soldiers that, that that served in Afghanistan, and it's been it's been part of of how I do things, and I am always surprised about the value that I get. 
normally in a police movie investigating a murder, we would go out there with a dog and we would sail around for hours and then suddenly the dog would bark, music would go up and you would then cut to the hospital where the the, the, the body is examined and the police work can go on the fascination of the dead body. Instead, what we did here was we, we wanted to pause. So we said, okay, what happens after in the procedural what actually happens after that dog has barked. And to go in and get all the details from the real divers gave the show a very original uh, flavor, a flavor that I couldn't have written and that no actors could have added. That only comes when you ask real professionals to do their job. It's kind of interesting because there's a big misunderstanding. I'm often asked, why do you use amateurs in your movies or in your series? And uh, the question is, the only amateurs there are me and the actors. Uh, These guys are there because they are professionals. They know exactly how to do this. And there are so many small things that I could never have done without getting seasick uh, that that they could do for me. Uh, uh, and and everybody who's shot on water knows how difficult it is. It's a lot easier when you have special trained troops to help you navigate out there. So in so many ways, their presence would make this possible. And can I, and can I just add something? This is another great example of just how incredible the Val family is and how they seem to have this incredible special energy and spirit following them wherever they go, whoever they speak with. In no time at all had they managed to speak directly with Swedish dog handlers long before it had become problematic to speak with these and were literally talking with them as if they had known each other for years, like they do with everyone they meet. However, throughout all these many days, all these divers were out there searching, all excited and motivated in the morning and deeply disappointed at night. And it was my job to relate these disappointing news back to Joachim and Ingrid every single evening, saying, no, sorry, still nothing today. To which they would ask, When will you go out again? And often all I could reply was, due to the weather conditions, it might be two or three days before we can go out diving again. And every single time I'd made the call, Joachim always finished our call by saying, please remember to thank the divers. And this was just such an astonishing gesture. The fact that a person still has the resilience and capacity to say these words, even when he is faced by the huge disappointment of knowing that today still wasn't the day where we found what we were searching for, Today we still didn't find his daughter. The fact that he still had the strength to thank someone else and the fact that I could pass on this message to Christian and that he could then begin the next morning by thanking the divers for their enormous work on behalf of Ingrid and Joachim, that was a huge motivation for all of these young divers and it meant that they felt they were working directly for Ingrid and Joachim. That brings me to, you asked to to ESO, so here we go. ESO is played by the real ESO because Joachim and Ingrid wouldn't allow it anywhere else. They just wouldn't allow me to cast another dog. I was so afraid that something would happen on my watch to their beloved dog. So I had the naive idea that I could get a Banasen to represent ESO. And I had a very decisive Uh, I have a, I had a very stubborn Joachim uh, on the phone telling me that it needed to be the real ESO, that, that he would take full responsibility of that. And of course, I'm very happy. And it's such a, a generous offer. And I was just 
and afraid that anything would happen to ESO while we were shooting. But nothing happened. It was a great thing. But they insisted that ESO should play itself. So so ESO is there representing them uh, on screen. But because ESO is the real ESO, um, that would allow a natural way for Engel and Joachim to be on set as well. So even though we were portraying their life in the darkest hours, they were there full of joy because they were there playing with their dog and getting him ready to be part of the TV show. And that, again, tells us a lot about them. And, you know, I'm grateful that we were able to do that. And I know that Pernilla, August, and Rolf Lesko, in their portrays of Ingrid and Joachim, used the present uh, of ESO uh, uh, to get the energy and the honesty and the humanity out of it. So so their effect is both in the real investigation and in the TV show, the investigation, remarkable. ESO is in some of the most powerful scenes. The actors playing the Vals have that scene on the beach where Ingrid is so overcome by emotion and she quite literally falls into Joachim's arms and ESO is there Um it's just such a special scene. And I think adding that extra layer, knowing that it is the real dog who would have seen and witnessed those private moments between the real Ingrid and Joachim doing very similar things. And he is there in the actual TV show. It's just very, very powerful. The day when we when we shot um, that scene on the beach, uh, it was a very cloudy and foggy day. So the light disappeared faster than it normally would and suddenly we were in a hurry to get this scene done and I do believe that the fact that we had the real ESO there made it easier for our actors to dig deep and find what they needed uh, uh, to portray the sorrow and the breakdown of of Ingrid and and that scene on the beach there Um, and when you read Engel and Joachim's book, you understand why ESO is so important to them. But they also offer the idea of the practical reason. ESO is a great dog. It's probably the most special dog I've met. He really has something special. But when they talk about the practical concept that even though they were caught in the darkest darkness of their lives and a terrible sorrow... They still needed to get out the door and take ESO for a walk every day. And the importance of that routine uh, in their situation was remarkable to me. And, and it made me understand the importance of ESO in this story. So it would have been easier to write scenes without ESO in it because it's difficult to control dogs. Um, it was a great present that, we, uh, that Joachim insisted uh, that we would shoot with the really song. To go back to the police dogs for a moment, what impact did the fact that you brought in these Swedish police dogs and use them in a way that hadn't been used before in Danish police investigations. What impact did that have on police work? Because the way it's portrayed in the TV show is that there was some tension between whether or not this would even work. And Jens talks about the fact that he'd never heard of 
dogs being able to detect bodies underwater. So what was the outcome of not only bringing those dogs in, but then and them actually playing such a crucial role in helping to solve the case? The dog's involvement was vital to us finding the remains of Kimbal. And after the case was closed, I went to my own boss and I recommended we did something to ensure that all this wisdom and information that we had gained throughout the last many months would somehow be saved and kept within the Danish police in the event that someone might need this in two, five or ten years down the line. And thankfully, my own boss and the head of the Danish police completely agreed, and because of this, a small team was established. We made some recommendations as to how the Danish police should approach working with divers and dogs, and this report was then delivered to all of the top departments. And due to this, it was agreed that these kind of dogs should become implemented within the Danish police. We have four new dogs receiving this specific training as we speak, and they are already fully trained to perform these new tasks. This is a fictionalization of a real story that uses the real people and animals who were actually there at the time. How did that shape the series and what impact did that have on making it as emotive as it was? So in the ending of episode four, when uh, Jens calls Joachim and tells him that they have found everything that they were looking for, that mixture of joy and sorrow um, that I felt when they told me about this day, um, I speculated a lot about how we could portray that. And um, and then Jens had, had told me that he would jump in his car and drive down to the harbor and thank everybody, divers and sailors and crew on that ship and the scientists and everybody who was there. And I remember that night when we shot that scene in the ending of episode four with with Sean shaking hands with everybody. I suddenly felt it. I could suddenly feel the energy and 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 what what Jens was talking about um, in this. And I actually believe that it was the gift of the real people being there. So the guys that you see, it's the real divers that actually did this work. And it's the real scientist, and it's the real crew from his ship, and it's shot on the real research ship from from the university. And all those small elements of reality that we allowed into our fictionalized version of this suddenly gave a, a emotional reflection into the shot. And realizing that in the editing room, I was even more grateful that that they had accepted the invitation and wanted to participate in the TV show because just the fact that I know it's them makes me handle the scene with more respect in the editing room. Would you be able to tell me how the teams coped with having to almost relive the case during the making of the show? Because, of course, you have the real team of divers and police dog handlers who would have worked on the original case and then they came back for the TV show. So I just would really like to hear about how the emotional 
side of things worked for them? Well, I I think that's an interesting perspective there because it's part of the the professional distance that I also need to to put into this. So 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 I can I can definitely answer that beginning with a question, you know. Uh, but when I bring in in this case real divers into uh, a TV series like this, um, there is a big risk that I will give them emotional flashbacks to hard experiences. Um, and I've made a decision years ago that um, when we shoot, I am there to tell their stories in the best possible way. So I don't ask so much about the psychological effect it has on them. I allow them to do their job and I expect somebody else in my team or somebody among themselves to be available for conversations of um, psychological nature. If I start to take on their psychological um, life, I won't be able to focus on making the best possible TV show. So as much as I would wish to offer myself to them, as a shoulder, uh, I never do. I always try to be a respectful uh, storyteller that portrays their life, and I try to make sure that my affection and my caring is shown in the TV series, not on set. Thank you very much to both of you for... Um for being on this episode with me and for sharing such fascinating insights into what really goes on in police work. Thank you, Anna. It was a pleasure being here. You've been listening to Behind the Investigation with me, Anna Codrerado. Thanks to Tobias Lindholm and Jens Muller for joining me today. This was the last episode featuring Jens, so a special thank you to him. I'll be back next time with Tobias to talk about the making of the show, and I'm really looking forward to hearing his behind-the-scenes stories about how he put together such an amazing series. So do join us then, and continue to watch the limited series The Investigation on HBO and streaming on HBO Max.